From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. It's Thursday, November 30, 2023. Is this the last day of the month? It is 30, 31. I can't remember her yeah. Okay, so it tomorrow is, is going to be a brand new month. Uh-huh. And so we're going to wrap up the month with a very exciting show. It's been a while since we had our guest on, so let's get underway here. Mary Danielson. Yes. Good morning, everyone. My guest today, John Haller. And it's been a little while, so it's always good to try try and keep up with John. Um, and I, I myself try to keep up with the headlines. It's getting harder and harder to uh, personally process some of this because it's, it's a lot of heaviness out there. Um, but John always has his unique sources and insights that we really, really appreciate. Um, so I'm going to get underway with a scripture and prayer, and we'll give a, a welcome John back to stand up, and then we're just going to jump in. Scripture today is Psalm 99, 1 through 3. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. Oh, Lord, we thank you that uh, we do not need to be moved off our firm foundation by the things that the world sends our way, that life sends our way. Lord, help us keep our eyes on you in every circumstance and then to take every opportunity we have to shine brightly for you. Continue to help us understand uh, the times with your mind, your wisdom, and your grace, and not to be weary in well-doing, Lord. Lord, help us to continue to find it a privilege to see what we see. So I do lift up John today and his loved ones for good health, for endurance, for all needs to be met, Lord, according to your great riches. I pray that you protect him, refresh him in your word. Thank you for his continued labor for uh, eternal things, and give him many opportunities, open doors for ministry, large and small. Lord, and we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. John Haller, pastor, lawyer, and teacher, known for his weekly prophecy updates, uh, trial lawyer for, lawyer for almost 40 years. John serves as an elder at Fellowship Bible Chapel. His prophecy updates are available on the Fellowship Bible Chapel uh, YouTube channel. Great weekly updates. Um, so we are just uh, glad to have you back, John. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's been a while. I was trying to think how long it's been. I don't know if it was late. before the, uh, I think it was before the war. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, late September. Yeah, late yeah. September. So mm-hmm. a few things have happened since we talked Yes, a few things time. have <laughs> definitely. And um, we have a lot to cover here. Uh, you know, I'm just going to let you sort of uh, uh, guide the ship there. But I want to open up briefly with something that's starting today and going on for 12 days. And when it goes on that long, a worldly conference that goes on that long, that just gives them more time for more mischief. But this is called COP28. It's a climate summit in Dubai. Uh, COP means Conference of the Parties. And those are uh, those who signed on in 1992 to the original UN Climate Agreement. John, what are they talking about there at COP28? Well, of course, this is to push the climate agenda, the, the climate narrative. And so they're they're all getting together. It's kind of interesting that the people who push the climate agenda are very upset about this meeting, which is about hmm. the climate agenda. 
because the climate agenda, because the meeting is taking place in the United Arab Emirates, which is a major oil and gas producer of hydrocarbons. And so they, they want to get rid of hydrocarbons. They have this fantasy that everything is going to be okay. I mean, this is, uh, that that they're going to be able to completely get rid of hydrocarbons and we're going to still have somewhat of the same lifestyle that we have now. <clears throat> and they're going to only do this by restricting everything and taking away a lot of things from us. I mm -hmm. mean, we have the concept of 15-minute cities, which is on the agenda there. We're going to move everybody into cities. One of the big things, though, I think that sort of relates directly to Bible prophecy that they're talking about is the proposal to essentially get rid of meat in the world. And that seems to play right into the what the Bible says, that you know they're going to try to restrict the eating of meat and the things that God has given us as good things. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm sure they're all going to be having their steaks, and I'm, I'm not sure that the, the entire menu for their meals there at COP28 is. Oh, uh, you're, cutting out, you're cutting out, John. Okay, so we're talking about this climate summit that's going on uh, for the next 12 days, and we're going to see if we can get John back here. My understanding with an article that I read just yesterday was that if all these things are in place and they're going to completely cut carbon by 2040, which is, of course, on Earth is an impossibility. We need carbon for life. We need carbon for plants. But that it would require an 85% reduction in our current lifestyles, which is a fairly serious reduction. I don't know if uh, Americans are ready for that sort of thing, but this kind of tyranny is is being thrust upon us, whether we like it or not. American Thinker has a, a great article called "While We Why We Are Sleepwalking into Tyranny." And, uh, he says the world is heading quite rapidly towards tyranny. We are in a revolutionary period that will dramatically change civilization. Few people understand the gravity of our situation, and then he talks about some of the reasons why the majority of people seem oblivious to the danger, um, and he says that this is why uh, we are sleepwalking into tyranny. And he talks about the normalcy bias, which is something that happens during a time of crisis, leading us to disregard any signs or warnings that we are in danger. I, a lot of people attach uh, a little more significance to the COP28 and the things that are going on, and I think Prince Charles will be there today or tomorrow mm -hmm. to give an opening uh, message. You know, he's very, very involved in this. There are some theories that he is the the man of perdition, the son of perdition that's coming. Uh, and I, I sort of take an open view of that is that we'll, we'll know it, you know, we'll, we'll see it when it happens. But I certainly think he's to be looked at. And he came up with this thing called, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, Terra Carta. Yes. Where he talks about, it's sort of like a play on the Magna Carta. And it's just, it, it's, it's really unbelievable what we're seeing on. There's a images there of this art center that they have at the COP28. And what they have is an AI created digital tree of life. Uh, that's sort of at the center of this, this meeting. So it'll be interesting to watch over the next couple of days, yeah. but uh, they, you were correct that they really want to do take away our lifestyle. And mm -hmm. they think that they're going to, uh, you know, the United States says and Australia and other countries say, well, we're going to stop building coal-burning power plants, but all the developing countries are building thousands of coal-burning power plants, so it's not going to make any difference anyway, and these solar and wind projects will not produce the power that's needed to sustain mm -hmm. 
uh, any sort of a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, the whole electric vehicle market is falling apart. Yeah, There's, yeah I just, saw that. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big scam. It's a, it's a scam yeah. that they're perpetrating on us for purposes of control. Well, and if people, you know, if people believe the lies, just like with COVID or anything else, then, then we get to that conformity bias situation where they just are, become zombies. Uh, and as American Thinker says, they sleepwalk into tyranny because they believe the lies. There's always going to be those who don't, but the majority of people are believing this stuff. And so, you know, they just, uh, they just capitulate to, to all the deception that's out there and that here we are. And that's exactly, I think, why we are where we are. Uh, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Do you want do you want to switch gears towards Israel here with the hostage yeah we can situation? we can switch towards Israel. Okay. I mean I so we haven't talked since this war with Hamas started back on October seventh and uh, I've been following it closely. I do participate in uh, daily briefings with a couple of organizations. Uh, one of which is uh, an organization called IDSF, Israeli Defense and Security Forum, founded by my friend, General Amir, Brigadier General, retired uh, Amir Abivi. And the the news there, it, it, Israel, it, it's interesting that Israel was very divided before this happened. Now Israel is largely unified. Uh one of the things I think we're going to see, though, is I, I just do not see how Prime Minister Netanyahu survives this politically. Mm-hmm. There are many, many calls, daily protests mm-hmm. for his resignation. It's a it's a very difficult situation that Israel has. Israel's really facing enormous threats. And by the way, I support Israel. That doesn't mean I think everything that Israel has ever done is right or correct, mm-hmm. but it is clear that there is there are a lot of people on this earth, and they're coming out of the woodwork now. The uh, I think I, I heard your talk with uh, Patrick Wood last week on the rise of anti-Semitism, and I I would I support everything that you guys talked about in that because this is a shocking thing to see. So Israel Israel's facing a number of threats, and some of them have time stamps. There was a good article last or a Facebook post last week by a friend of mine, Jonathan Spire, who I consider to be probably the leading Middle East war correspondent. He has spent a lot of time in Syria and other Arab countries where ISIS and other not so good actors have, have been involved. And he says Israel's really got a few things on their plate. They need to go in and they need to eradicate Hamas. Everybody agrees that's a thinking person that that needs to be done. However, that needs to be done rather quickly because Mm -hmm. the other part of it is that as this goes on, and you can see this now, whereas Israel in the first few days of this had a lot of support around the world, that support has pretty much evaporated. They don't get really much of any support from our government, you know, Blinken and and Biden and these guys run around like, oh, we're big Israel supporters, and then they do everything they can to undermine Israel, mainly by requiring that the ceasefire be extended. And as the ceasefire is extended, hundreds of trucks of aids are going in to the Gaza Strip uh, on a daily basis to allow Hamas to rearm re, uh, itself. This is it's a that so as the ceasefire extends 
and they just let these hostages out in drips and drabs. Uh, you know, there's a few here, a few there. Um, the the public opinion shifts with the ability of, of Moss to rearm itself. And this is an information war mm-hmm. that um, I think this is what we're going to see going forward a lot of these wars of misinformation, disinformation. We see this happening all the time with the narratives that develop about our own elections and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The But the information that's coming out from anti-Israel people now on the Internet and the way that Hamas, I think with the assistance of the Chinese Communist Party, has weaponized platforms like TikTok. Now, I'm not on TikTok, but I see videos from TikTok, and I can just say that it's a, it's a, it's a tool that is completely propagandizing young people. And so you see them coming out of these, uh, these protests, you see them running through cities, tearing down the posters that have been put up of the hostages. Right. And they say, well, that's just propaganda. And, and they support Hamas, which is a radical Muslim Sharia law or Muslim Brotherhood organization. And they'll say things like, uh, they'll have groups like uh, uh, trans people for Hamas mm-hmm. or trans people for, it was just, which if they were in, if they were in a Hamas controlled area, those people would be would be taken out immediately by Hamas because they don't comply with anything in uh, Sharia law. So I'm just really troubled by the the propaganda war that's going on. And in, internally in, in Israel, politically, um, you're see, you're seeing some cracks in the coalition and that type of thing. But understand, I mean, I, I woke up this morning, I was, I, was, I was thinking, laying awake last night thinking about what we would talk about, and we have the ceasefire. And everybody's, oh, this is, the ceasefire is great, and the hostages are getting out. But then this morning in Jerusalem, there was a shooting at a checkpoint coming mm-hmm. into Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and a couple hostages were killed, and at least one Israeli Jewish man was killed. He's a... Uh, one of the most important rabbinical judges in Israel was was shot and killed at the checkpoint. And these were Hamas operatives. And it's sort of like, so I thought there was a ceasefire, but the ceasefire is only for the Gaza Strip, but not Jerusalem. So this indicates the problem that Israel has. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sent you an article from Caroline Glick. She referred to a, a university had done a survey post-October 7th about what the attitudes were and what they found was that within Israel, you know, Israel, there's Gaza Strip is separate. They have the West Bank, which is sort of under control, parts of it under control of Israel, part under the Palestinian Authority. But among the Arabs within Israel, 75 to 80% were in support of what Hamas has yeah. done on October 7th. Yeah. Yeah. That's internal within Israel. So, Israel's facing multiple fronts in this war. You have Gaza, you have what's going on in the north. That seems to be in a state of relative calm. Iran and has, its proxy Hezbollah are doing probing up there. But then you have the problems in the West Bank where things are, uh, from everything I can see and people that I talk into Israel, that is a powder keg ready to explode. And what is Israel going to do with that 
situation. Mm-hmm. What is, uh, and then you have the internal things in Israel among parts of the Arab population, Arab Israelis, that support Hamas. I mean, right. it, it appears that this is an almost impossible situation. It is. And then the big question is, what, um, as my friend Amir Abibi has said, and wrote a pretty good article at IDSF uh, blog about it, what what does the day after Hamas look like? Let's say they get rid of Hamas. Now what do they do? Um, this is, I don't, I don't know that there's, well, I will say I don't know that there's anybody wise enough on the planet to do that. Yes. But what I'm seeing, Mary, is I'm seeing a lot of people asking the question or making the statement, wouldn't it be great if there was somebody who could come and help us work through this? Wow, John. My husband and I had that conversation yesterday. Why isn't there somebody who can come through? On top of my notes, it says, what would Solomon do? I'm not kidding. That is on the top of my notes today. Because when I read Carolyn Glick's article, I came to that very same conclusion. Because it says here that the Westerners um, generally insist that the Palestinians are peaceful and they all hate Hamas. Um, but that's not really true. It says the Palestinians um, hate them as much as they hate Israel. 98% of Palestinians hate the U.S. and 97% hate Britain. So you can you can throw all these statistics up in the air, but the bottom line, you know, according to Carolyn, what do the Palestinians want? Um, they just want to get rid of Israel. And so that's the overriding uh, sentiment here. Let's just get rid of Israel. So the rest is just kind of doesn't really even matter anymore because that's the bottom line goal of all of this. Well, Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, Caroline and her, she did a video last week about uh, she interviewed a uh, former Nobel Prize, a Nobel Prize, not a former, but a Nobel Prize winner uh, in mathematics on gaming theory. And he's in his 90s, and he's a Holocaust survivor. And it, it was very interesting. I, I wish I had the quote pulled up, but so I don't want to misrepresent what she said. I respect Caroline a lot. She's mm-hmm. Jewish, of course. You know, she's not a Christian. But at the end of her thing, she talked about, she used the example of when you go out and walk your dogs, sometimes your dogs will get ahead of you and they'll be looking back to see where they should go. And she said, this is almost like, this is similar to what we're at as we're entering this age of expectation of a coming Messiah to resolve this. Now, so that, you know, that is, as Christians, we think that that sort of has, Uh, hope and also problems because are you looking for the right Messiah? Mm -hmm. And we know there's a false one coming and that that's the concern Mm -hmm. that someone will come along and say, Hey, I've got all the solutions. I've got the answers to this really just follow me. Hmm. And I, I, so I, I think as Christians, we need to kind of think through how we're going to, use these things. I'll give you an example. So the, the, the this conflict, uh, as is a lot of these conflicts and attacks have been provoked by Muslim leaders in the past and currently concerning what they consider to be threats to Al-Aqsa. Now, Al-Aqsa mm-hmm. is, uh, there is a mosque on the Temple Mount that's called Al-Aqsa. But the... Um, 
other part of the Temple Mount, there's a Dome of the Rock, uh, which is not a mosque. It's a commemorative building. It, I was actually, in 1995, we were there, and we were able to go inside there. I don't think non-Muslims are allowed to go in there any longer. We could actually even go into the Al-Aqsa Mosque. But there's this the Temple Mount compound. They've redefined that as the entire thing is Al-Aqsa. And so you see the imagery. Mm. You see it in the Iranian videos. You see it in the propaganda videos that... Israel is there's this there's an attack on the Temple Mount. There's an attack on Al Aqsa. Mm-hmm. So that's why this operation in Gaza, where the people from Hamas and other terrorists, including civilians, non-Hamas civilians, came across and slaughtered people, raped people, killed people, kidnapped them. That was called Al Aqsa flood or Al Aqsa storm. And so this is this has been a constant theme of provocation by Muslims in Israel since the Jews came started coming back into the land in large numbers in the late um, uh, 19th century. But uh, for example, in 1929 there was an attack on a mosque, or there was an attack in Hebron that ended up killing 70 or 80 Jews. They, they were slaughtered almost identical to what happened here in Gaza on October 7th. And that was provoked by the Hajiman al-Husseini, this Hitler-loving guy who was in charge of the Temple Mount under the, Jordan, under the auspices of the Jordanian government, provoking everybody, the Muslims in Jerusalem, that the Jews were going to... to uh, destroy the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and that led to this slaughter. So the, this is a constant recurring theme. And so we know as Christians, we know that there's different things prophetically that are coming. There's a, we think there's a temple coming. There's a lot of preparation for that. Talk about the red heifer and everything. And so what I've been trying to think about, though, is how do we use that the, those things, which we know will be used for bad, but how do we use that to point people mm. to Jesus? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the original temple, the tabernacle and the temple was to point the Jewish people to their Messiah. So they're coming, they're bringing those things back at this particular time in an era when there's a lot of messianic expectations. So what I've been trying to think through is how do we use that as a witnessing tool mm-hmm. and, and not just sort of pass it off. Well, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, all, that's a to- totally evil thing. We need to figure out how to use these things that point people in the past. They pointed to Jesus. So why can't we use them this way to point to the true Messiah and mm-hmm. not the false one? Mm. That's just something that I've been kind of rattling around in my little brain. Yeah, that is interesting because as we talk here, and there's another article here by Melanie Phillips, she's a British journalist Mm -hmm. uh, for JNS News Service, and she talks about, uh, you know, last week when the ceasefire was just beginning to, you know, come into being here, at the last second, Hamas, you know, adds more conditions on the handover of the hostages and ramps up more demands about military activities on Israel's part, but she says Israel is no longer in control of events. She says, 
Uh, Hamas is an enemy of mankind that the world has never seen before. It's a, its principal weapon of war is the general population, Gaza, Israel, and the West. It turns Gaza's civilians into cannon fodder in order to deploy its legions of useful idiots in the West who respond to Hamas's manipulated casualty figures and images of Palestinians suffering by putting pressure on their governments to stop supporting Israel. Hostages, therefore, are crucial to the survival of Hamas. And it does seem to me that this is out of control, on, John, on so many levels. And when we think about the beginning of the tribulation period and, and a, a covenant with many and how this seems unsolvable, I'm not saying that this is what will bring the Antichrist to solve this very sticky situation, but I started to think a little differently about this particular war yesterday based on that particular prophecy and wondering if we are that close somehow. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? We're going to take a break in two minutes here, John. Sure. So, yeah, I think that I think that it does play in. So, you know, I've sort of been reexamining uh, prophecies in Psalm 83, which is kind of an interesting thing with the Abraham Accords and what's been going on. And we know that, you know, remember, it was two months ago that Benjamin Netanyahu stood in the well of the UN and he said, we are on the verge of a new Middle East. We're going to have peace mm. between Israel and Saudi Arabia. And where does that stand right now? Personally, I think that peace agreement is coming back. The Saudis have, and other people that have signed, uh, the other countries signed the Arab Accords have, even though the Saudis haven't, have blocked some of the things that the Organization of Islamic Countries wanted to do against Israel. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing sort of a uh, a coalition of, of Psalm 83 countries, still not complete. Mm -hmm. There's actually 10 regions that are identified. But there may be some wars that come to bring those people into it, like southern Lebanon, Tyre and Sidon, like Gaza, that type of thing. And what those will, what that will, and so um, but then again, I think that that's, those agreements are with people that eventually will turn against Israel as well. But you're seeing a breakdown between the southern countries of Islam and the northern countries of Islam. And that does seem to me to be setting up this battle that we see in Daniel chapter 11 between the king of the north and the king of the south. Mm. And remember, though, it was just two months ago, everybody was talking peace, 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 peace. Right. And how long did it take for that to change? Two weeks? Right. I mean, it's uh, the, the speed at which things happen is pretty amazing. It is amazing. And I, I read an article on September the 30th, just yesterday, I read it yesterday, about the Abraham Accords and all the uh, you know anticipation and all that. A week later... A week later, uh, things had changed so completely. We're talking to John Haller today. Uh, this is Standing for the Truth. My name is Mary Danielson, and we were talking, I believe, the Middle East is never going to look the same. At least Israel's never going to look the same. Something major took place on October the 7th, and uh, the end game, we don't know, but we do know how the book ends, and uh, we know that prophecy is, is in play, and God, uh, his, his hand is in the affairs of men, and we are living in biblical times, so... Uh, we are going to take a break. We will be back in two minutes uh, to talk to John Haller about so much more. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. 
Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. My name is Mary Danielson, and we are speaking with John Haller today. And sorting through all the articles, um, it just makes your head explode. But I think everyone feels that way, that we're a little overwhelmed. And, and John, I want to get back a little bit to Israel before we segue into AI and, and uh, several other things here. Elon Musk met with Netanyahu uh, this week. Um, and offered help. I don't know what that means exactly. What what can you tell us about uh, Elon's um, activities of late? Well, Elon's been pretty good at getting himself into prob into trouble with the <laughs> anti-Israel crowd yeah. right now. I mean, he right. he did mention. I think he made a good observation, uh, but he immediately he's been accused of being anti-Semitic. He said, "Listen, you know, a lot of left-wing Jewish people have been funding these woke." Uh, anti-West, anti-Israel uh, entities, NGOs and that type of thing. And now they're turning around and they're coming after all Jews. And they're, they're having trouble understanding that. And I, I think he made a good point is, what did you people think was going to happen when you were funding these things? Did you did you think that was never going to come, that they were never going to turn on you? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, and so he got in a lot of trouble. But he did an interview this uh, yesterday so he was with Netanyahu, and he said, look, I support Israel. I think Hamas needs to be taken out. And, of course, the anti-Israel, pro-Hamas crowd has come after him with a vengeance. A lot of countries are, uh, a, a lot of companies are withdrawing their advertising from Twitter, or X as it's now called. Uh, by the way, X is also rolling out its own version of AI. You can go to x.ai and read about that. Hmm. And I will just say it's kind of bizarre and strange. It's based on a hitchhike, a book called A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's very, but that's, that's Elon Musk's company that's rolling that out. And in the interview yesterday with uh, uh, Andrew Sorkin, I think, of the New York Times, so he, he was in Israel and now he's in New York doing this New York Times deal book interview. It's about an hour and 20 minutes long. You can get it. But in that, he said, get some very colorful, direct language to the people who don't want to advertise anymore on on uh, Twitter. He told them to, you know, go mm-hmm. away in sort of a, a way that we're not allowed to say on the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, he's, he said the same thing directly to the Disney company. And he said, uh, who was there being interviewed in the same series of interviews that New York Times was doing. But anyway, at the end, he talked about the fact that, you know, we, we need to have regulation. Uh, I think that the, he said the, the mix up or the, the dust up at OpenAI were firing Sam Altman, then firing the board, then hiring Sam Altman back, who co-founded OpenAI with Elon Musk a number of years ago. And Musk left because he thought that Sam Altman was getting too much into the commercial side. But essentially, he just mm. said, listen, you know, the, these AI companies, they say they're not using or basing anything on people's personal data. He says that's a complete lie. Mm-hmm. He says eventually the lawsuits will prove this to be true, but by then we'll have a digital guide anyway, so what's the point going to be? <laughs> and so we see all of these things happening to regulate AI. Uh, Musk said in the interview that he thought there was something going on that people within AI who he open AI who he trusts and has have good moral compasses, he said, 
saw something going on that really concerned them, and Sam Altman was not concerned about it enough, so they moved to get rid of Sam Altman. But that was a very small minority of people with an open AI. This thing is developing so rapidly, Mm -hmm. and you see the computing power is developing that it's that's needed to to push ai is developing uh there was a an interview with um or a a speech that's uh ray kurzweil who was one of the big pushers of the concept of the singularity when man and machine will merge and Kurzweil used to say 2045, and then there's the famous time cover from back in 2011, I think, that said 2045, the year man becomes immortal. Um, wow. Now Kurzweil's saying that, that that merger is going to be finished in 2029 and complete in 2030, wow. which is kind of an interesting time frame depending on how you view some of the prophecies in Hosea about the two days, two thousand years. The Lord goes away for two thousand years. Then he comes back. I I can't completely dismiss that idea mm-hmm. as completely out of hand. And I'm not sure it's thirty AD, might be thirty one or thirty two AD, but I I do think we we live at a time God gave us time markers for the first coming of Jesus. I think there may be some time markers not day and time specific, but some seasonal time markers for the second return of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So but this AI stuff, Mary, it's developing so quickly. Yeah. I was reading about a, uh, a computer at Argonne National Laboratories outside of Chicago that can do something like um, one quadrillion calculations a second. And it soon will be able to to double, they will soon double that capacity. Uh, Jason Wang, who was interviewed at the New York Times thing yesterday from NVIDIA, they have a chip that they are putting out. It's uh, And you can read about it. I've talked about it in some of my talks. It's about the size of an iPad. And that chip is powering a lot of this AI development. The chip has at least 200 billion transistors on it what? one chip and so so i i think we're i don't think we're really grasping one yeah happened. i agree i mean the example that i think i've used in the past is when they they thought if they could get uh for health care and that type of thing if we could get three-dimensional structure of biological proteins that would be that would help us develop, you know, mRNA tools and other tools to alter those genes and DNA and all that stuff. So 200 biological or 200 million biological proteins, they took them about two years to figure out how to do it. And once they figured it out, they're able to literally construct what used for one protein. It used to take a PhD research scientist five years full time to come up with a three dimensional structure took them two years to sort of figure out how to do it with computers. Literally within weeks, they were able to do all 200 million biological proteins, develop a three-dimensional picture of them. That's that's mm. a billion years of PhD research time reduced to a matter of weeks. <laughs> so I, I, 
So we know on the other side of this is that there's coming this son of perdition who will use this technology. Patrick Wood, my friend who you had on last week, good to see him back in circulation mm-hmm. again. But he, I know he said a few months ago, he said, listen, when, when this end times thing really kicks off and we get into this final week of, of human history before the return of Jesus, when they get to this abomination of desolation, they're, that's going to happen. And it's not going to be a situation where then the Antichrist and the false prophet will sit down and say, okay, should we maybe crowdfund the development of artificial intelligence in some way to control humanity? Mm-hmm. They're right. not going to do that. That's right. The technology is going to be there, and all they're going to have to do is flip the switch. Yes, I do think, Mary, that this is a very, very big deal and category that we need to be looking at as we go forward, because we're getting closer and closer to where they just flip the switch. Yep, I agree. Uh, Absolutely. And I, I've heard people say what it almost seems like technology is set to outpace the book of Revelation at some point. So how close really are we? How far will God let us go? Uh, I was looking at uh, this uh, Yuval Harari. Um, he was at a, a conference, uh, U, the UN's conference, AI for Good Global Summit. Um, he says, well, right. we are learning to use AI. It is learning to use us. And he says, um, we really, the crucial thing to understand here is, and he says, this is the good news. Um, we aren't going to slow down deployment, uh, development. We need to slow down the deployment of it. In other words, we're going to let, give it a leash and let it out as we see fit, but we're going to keep developing it. So in the hands of sinful men, I don't hold out a lo- whole lot of hope for Mr. Uh, you, um, you know, his, his version of good news is not my version of good news. Uh, and he says, well, if you look at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I was going to say, if you look at that AI for Good summit that they had in the, this past summer, the initial opening of this was, oh, here's AI, but all, what was all of it being designed to do? It was all designed around promoting the UN's sustainable development goals and the Agenda 2030. That's what we see going on at COP28 right now as we speak. Okay. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's all... It's, it's all very interconnected, and, you know, sometimes I wonder if Ferrari is, uh, if, if he really believes it or if he's just reporting it, mm-hmm. I personally think that he's totally in on the end game. Mm-hmm. But there was, a, there was another seminar last week, a summit. It was called Axios AI Plus Summit in Washington, D.C. Uh, I think that took place... Uh, I actually took place earlier this week. You know, yeah, in Washington, I, I yeah, read, yeah, yeah. I, I read these articles and everything, and then I, I go back to talk about them later, and it's like, well, that happened like two weeks ago. No, it was three <laughs> days ago, you right, know, right. because there's so much. It's, it's sort of like the compression of time is, and the acceleration of these things is just incredible. But anyway, so this Axios article, and Axios, they're a, a center-left news organization, uh, they're sort of it tied into the elites and power structure in Washington, D.C. But just look at this paragraph, a, a couple quotes from here. Uh, Eric Schmidt, Schmidt was interviewed. He was a former CEO of Google. He also wrote a book about two years ago on 
uh, I can't remember the exact title of it. It was about AI and how the power of AI or something like that. His co-author on that book, by the way, was a guy named Henry Kissinger, <laughs> who went on to his eternal reward just yes. yesterday yep. at the age of 100. And, you know, he was a big globalist and cause of a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. But so anyway, so this is here's what the article at Axios says. Guardrails AI companies add to their products to prevent them from causing harm aren't enough to control AI capabilities that could endanger humanity within five to 10 years, Eric Schmidt, former Mm. Google CEO said Mm -hmm. on Tuesday. And when he was interviewed, he said, listen, there we're and and Musk sort of reiterated this yesterday. We're, we're, nobody's going to control this. If we control here in the U S or in the European union, do you, do you think that's going to stop China or Russia or other countries from going forward? That's right. And, Google, and Schmidt made a couple good quotes. After Nagasaki and Hiroshima, it took 18 years to get a treaty over test bans and things like that. <clears throat> we don't have that kind of time today. The danger, he said, arrives at the point at which the computer can start to make its own decisions to do things when, say, such a system discovers access to weapons and we can be certain the system will tell us the truth. Two years ago, that moment was expected to be 20 years off. Today, Schmidt said, some experts think that we are only two to four years away. I will also say I got an email this morning from a tech guru type, uh, and I can't even remember the name of it, but I get so much information these days, and in it, it, it talked about how AI was having trouble getting around certain uh, security things that are put in place. You know those little CAPTCHA things when you try to log on someplace that says select all the bicycles right, in the right, pan, you know, right. like a three-by-three three panel, or select all the traffic lights or something yeah. like that. And so what the AI couldn't get around the CAPTCHAs to get into a part of the system that it wanted to get into. This is a, this is not fantasy. This sounds like a <laughs> some kind of horror movie. This yeah. is actually happening. Wow. And what it did was it it went out on its own and it gave a job description to hire somebody to help it get around the captcha. Wow. Thing because it needed the human element. And so people I went to a conference uh, with Tom Hughes and one of our speakers there was uh, Scott Townsend and Scott raised when Microsoft invested $10 billion in open AI, they brought in a team of research and computer PhDs to look at it. Is this, is this going to work? And what do you think of this? And their report, you can find the report online. The report came back and said that what AI was really, really good at was deception. <laughs> now, that seems to tie into what Jesus warned us about yeah. in Matthew 24, that you need to protect yourself from deception. So we're, we're there. We're really yeah. there. And we see, I, you know, Mary, I just the, the propaganda that we're going to see, particularly coming up in this 2024 election. Uh, I was watching I watched MSNBC for 30 seconds this morning. That's about all I that's sort of my time limit on it. <laughs> and there was a congressman. She's 
the congresswoman. She's from Virgin Islands, so she doesn't have any power. She just sort of sits there and and gets interviewed on MSBC because she probably has the time to get the narrative straight. And she was talking about how, well, the ceasefire in Israel is just going great. Everything's going great with the ceasefire. The hostages are getting out. Uh-huh. And, and it's just, it was just, it's just pure propaganda. Yeah. Pure propaganda. Yeah. Well, you talk about deception and you talk about other countries are pretty much going to do what they want with AI and we have no control over that. China just mentioned in the last couple of days that they, they are going to create um, all manner of, I mean, of uh, fake people. And I see uh, Hirari says uh, at this uh, AI for Good Global Summit, he says, now it's possible for the first time in history to create billions of fake people. If you can't know who's a real human and who's a fake human, trust will collapse and at least with it, society. And Patrick Wood mentioned last week, he said, the end of, rea- the end of reality is here. You know, we have lost touch with reality. And so now we have China saying that they are going to release um, millions and millions of fake people into into the world. And, and Harari says that we can do this. Um, I I don't know how, uh, you know, if Jesus says we're going to have to cut short those days because it gets so incredibly wild and wicked. I just I can't hardly wrap my head around this level of deception, John. Well, I do think, by the way, that prophecy of Jesus, except those days be shortened, no, no, nobody would survive. I'm not sure that it means that <clears throat> he cuts them short. It means that I personally think the way that should be interpreted is limited to the time prophesied. Hmm. So if it was going to go beyond that time prophesied, beyond that time limit, no flesh would survive. And I think that that's true. I mean, Eric Schmidt is his interview at the Axios AI Summit the other day was talking about how, well, you know, when the war in Ukraine started, I was working with Ukraine and we were able to give them access to artificial intelligence tools that helped them do a lot better. And one of those ways was drones. But but now what's happened is Russia's got twice as many drones as Ukraine. Uh, We see Hamas use drones in the attack on Israel, the early stages of the attack on Israel, to disable warning systems that Israel had, which many people thought were the best warning systems in the world. But they were overcome by relatively cheap technology that uses pretty powerful computers. And so what, what Eric Schmidt said was these drones are like mobile flying operating platforms that you can reprogram and make them do things that nobody anticipated that they would be able to do. Mm-hmm. It's, hmm. and this, this is in, in warfare. And so when, when Eric Schmidt says we've got maybe two or four years, I, I think you should believe him yeah. that two or four years, this thing is going to reach a tipping point and it's going to be very, very difficult to, it's not going to be turned back, I, and I don't think it's going to be regulated. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hopeful for the Lord to return. Yes, very <laughs> uh, hopeful. To kind of clean this up. I mean, I think that that's ultimately the the issue. Yeah, yeah, and I thought it was interesting, some of the things he said where he tied in Nagasaki and Hiroshima to this, um, you know, it took 18 years to get a treaty over test bans over that. Well, Robert Oppenheimer said that the night before they were, supposed to test these things, he said, we didn't know if it was going to ev- evaporate 
and annihilate the entire universe or, or just this planet. He said, we had no idea what was going to happen. And it may be kind of wild to compare that to this, but they were civilization changers. Both of those things are still, you know, right? It's interesting that that Oppenheimer movie came out recently just at this time as we're discussing this. Hmm. And really, we're sort of a lot of the AI guys will say we're at an Oppenheimer moment. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the top hmm. early AI guys like Max Tegmark and Jeffrey Hinton and a number of these guys, they've left. They said, it's it's gone too far. I'm out of here. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm going to go to my farm someplace and hope that I survive <laughs> wow. the apocalypse. <laughs> wow. Very so, interesting. It, it's a, well, I was going to say, it's interesting, I was thinking about this the other day, is like, you know, in Islam, they think they can bring about the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And, but now when Christians, if we support Israel, oh, well, you're bringing about the apocalypse. No, no, we're not, we're not bringing about the apocalypse. That's going to happen regardless of what we, we do or don't do, but mm-hmm. we get blamed for it, which is kind of interesting. We're the ones yeah. to blame for it when there's all these people running around Israel and the Middle East and, else, and in our cities. Uh, I mean, the protests going on, they're attacking the lighting of the Christmas tree in New York City last night, uh, physical violence. I, I just think that, uh, to kind of circle back to what we were talking about at the beginning with Israel, the bad things that people are saying about Israel are are being transferred over to people in the church, the evangelical church. Mm. Yeah. I mean, well, what did we talk about beforehand? Jack Smith. The prosecutor was going after Trump on the J6 issues, just issued subpoenas for Twitter to produce the information from the accounts of everybody who liked or retweeted any of President Trump's posts leading up to January 6th. Yeah, and leading up to the election, uh, Newsweek magazine has an exclusive uh, uh, from October, Donald Trump followers targeted by FBI as 2024 election nears. And that is a very distressing article. Anyone who shows any support for him whatsoever is on that radar. Not really surprising, though, completely, is it, John? No, I mean, uh, a friend of mine this morning sent me uh, a tweet. Uh, it might have it been uh, Gary Bauer had shared it. And what it had said was it was it was a tweet where somebody um, uh, they had tweeted about uh, supporting President Trump and Michael Hayden uh, got on. Somebody posted a tweet and says, what's the difference? There's a picture of a lady with a gun, a Bible and a flag. And on the next to a picture of a lady with a machine gun, Hamas flag and a Quran. And so General Michael, somebody said, what's the difference? Mm -hmm. And Michael Hayden, who was the head of our CIA, said, there's no difference between these two. They're the same. Wow. And that's that's concerning. That's Michael Hayden. Yeah. Yes, very, very concerning. He was head of the CIA for a while. Well, and the left is terrified, um, this article, uh, on Zero Hedge, brace yourself for what's coming in 2024. Victor Davis Hanson warns the left knows they're cooked if Trump wins because, and he says, because the Democratic Party strategy is prioritizing ideology over governing. 
everything is about an ideology. We've just completely lost the ability to understand the difference between what is fueled by ideology and what is actual governing of the people. And that, I think, John, I think that's partly how we got here. Sure. Look, the, um, I think I mentioned to you, I'm preaching on Sunday and I'm preparing, it's on Paul on Mars Hill. And, uh, I got up Monday morning and I thought, oh, I'll have this done by noon on Monday. And I'm still, it's still rattling around <laughs> my head as to how I'm going to approach it just because of developments of this week. And that, you know, Paul told the people, he, it was an interesting approach he took. He said, listen, you know, the, the creator created all men of one blood, which we don't agree with now in the world today. But that he's now, he says, listen, the, the, and you, you've worshipped worshiped him in ways of things made with hands, and you have this altar to the unknown God. But what you worship in ignorance, I'm here to tell you about, because God's tolerated your ignorance, but now the times for ignorance are over. Whoa. Jesus Christ Whoa. has come. John, we have wrapped up this whole hour already. It went very, very fast. So much more we could have talked about. We so appreciate your expertise on all these things, and we'll be praying for you for Sunday, um, that the Lord give you wisdom, and that the people would be uh, really encouraged, because I think a lot of people are wrestling with the, the darkness and what's going on. So, John, thank you so much once again for being on Stand Up for thank the Truth. Thank you, Mary. So tomorrow we have uh, J.B. Hickson, notbyworks.org, and we are going to do a summary of 2023 and just some of the patterns that have been going on. So join me tomorrow with J.B. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Have a great day on purpose. Mm -hmm.